Amen. Let's take our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 5. We'll continue this morning our series on uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and in particular, this kind of sub-series on the Sermon on the Mount, on the Beatitudes. And we'll look here uh, this morning primarily at verse number 4. We're going to read the first 12 verses uh, each week for the next few weeks as we make our way through here. But our focus today is going to be on verse number 4 of Matthew, chapter number 5. Uh, and beginning in verse 1, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Verse number four again, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I want to speak this morning on the thought, broken but blessed. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word, Lord Jesus, for taking the time here at the beginning of your ministry, Lord, to lay out an outline, Lord, for what you would accomplish and what you we're seeking to do. Lord, thank you that you saw it through to the end, that you fulfilled it, and the, the parts that are remaining to be unfulfilled, we can have confidence, Lord, that in your time and according to the will of your Father, that they'll be done. Lord, I pray that you would help us to allow you to work in our hearts, that we would glean some truths from this this morning, or be reminded of some principles that will help us in our daily life and walk with you. Lord, encourage and strengthen us in our faith today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So we look here and just, uh, you know, Jesus is here, obviously, he's in the early stages of ministry. And so uh, just to kind of just backing up to last week for a moment to just kind of get us back in the same train of thought. He has been baptized. He has been to John the Baptist. He has embraced what God has for him. The Father has spoken from heaven, stating his pleasure in him and his approval of him. The Holy Spirit has led him out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. He has withstood the attack of the enemy, uh, and now he's come down and he's began to put together uh, his team, his, his, the ones that he would draw close to, that he would train, that would carry on after he ascends to his father at, at, after the crucifixion and resurrection. And so as he calls them, he's called Peter and Andrew, he's called James and John, and, uh, and now he is gathered out here. He's in the area of Galilee or Decapolis. Decapolis is just a Roman province off of the southeastern section of the Sea of Galilee. There's just the area, there are 10 Roman, 10 cities there. It's largely Gentile. And it's called the area of Decapolis. And so uh, that's the, the region and the area that he's at. And as he's there and he begins to teach and word gets out of the authority and the power with which he teaches and people begin to see the, the miracles and hear of the things that he's done, there's, they're already anticipating his arrival. And so they, they meet him. 
and then he gets there, uh, he sees the multitudes, and so he gets up into a mountain and he prepares. It says that he, he is set. And once he was set, or once he was prepared and ready, he opened his mouth and he began to teach them. And so the entirety of chapters 5, 6, and 7 encompass this one time of instruction that Jesus gives to this crowd of people. And so he is, this is not a, uh, this is not a short devotional. This is not a, uh, a kind of a, a little pep talk or a, an abbreviated uh, statement that the Lord Jesus is making here. He is putting out here the groundwork for his three and a half years of ministry uh, that will lead to ultimately his atonement for our sin on Calvary's cross and the, and the, the miracle of his resurrection uh, conquering death and hell. All of it is set in order. Everything that was going to be up to that point that's already taking place and everything that is yet to come in the future, Jesus lays the groundwork for that here. Last week we looked at as we looked at the principles here of him giving us this, that C.I. Schofield in his writings wrote that the Sermon on the Mount is pure law and transfers the offense from the overt act to the motive. And so there's a transition here. Jesus is saying, okay, the law spelled everything out in black and white, but now we're going to deal with the heart of the matter. Uh, and so we're going to get down to the root of the, uh, of the problem. The Jews here essentially had reduced righteousness to mere ceremonialism. In other words, they just go through the motions of religion and God is pleased. And we know that, that of course, is not true. And that's Jesus' point. Uh, we talked about that last week. We also looked at being poor in spirit showed us our need for God. And until someone sees that they have a need for God, they'll never experience Him. Until someone understands that they have a need for salvation, they'll never trust Christ as their Savior. You may convince them to pray a prayer, but they'll never truly repent of their sin and receive the Lord Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Uh, and so we talked about how being blessed uh, by gave us an opportunity to be saved. Uh, being, being blessed in that way uh, by being poor in spirit gives us an opportunity to be separated to the things of God and unto the person of God and then to search out God's will for our life and opportunities in which to serve him. Uh, and so we saw all of that in uh, the message last week. Blessed are uh, they who see their need for God or those who are poor in spirit. In other words, my, my I, I'm not full of myself. I realize that that I am not everything that there is to be. Uh, and because I see that I'm lacking and Jesus can fulfill the need, I have a need and I can turn to him. Then this morning we see in verse 4, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And so what does that mean? Pastor, does that mean we're supposed to walk around in a state of perpetual sorrow? No, not at all. We're supposed to be joyful. Uh, we're supposed to spend most of our time happy in the Lord and serving Him and, uh, and carrying a good spirit about us. Then, then how uh, do I reconcile this? If, I, if I'm going to have this from God, this comfort from God, uh, and, and I've got to mourn, then what does, that, what does that truly mean? And we're going to kind of break this down a little bit uh, this morning and take some, a minute and define some of these words so that we get a real clear understanding of what the message is that Jesus is trying to get across. The word mourn uh, here simply is, is stating uh, those that are broken. Uh, I have to be broken. And so if I'm poor in spirit, then I'm broken in heart. Uh, there's, a, there's a brokenness about me. That doesn't mean that I'm walking around 
uh, again, in distress. It just means that I've come to a place where I realize that there's something in me that is broken and needs to be repaired. Uh, the word that's used here, mourn, literally is meaning to express grief or sorrow. So when we talk about expressing grief or sorrow, blessed are they that mourn or those who can express grief and sorrow. Well, what should I express grief and sorrow about? Well, obviously when we have heartache in life, if we're betrayed, we have issues in times of betrayal or we have times of, of great loss, maybe a loss of a loved one or uh, the, the loss of something that was special or sacred to us or a career, security, those types of things, that's going to generate some sorrow. But uh, beyond that, we, we, we basically don't grieve over the loss of things that, uh, or, or we don't grieve over things that are good. So in other words, if somebody comes this morning and gives you a uh, million dollars, you're not going to grieve. Okay, if somebody comes and cleans out your bank account, you might grieve. Uh, if, if you, you know, somebody comes and uh, gives you bad news or we lose a loved one, then we're grieved. What are we grieving over? We're grieving uh, over sorrow or over, uh, 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 we have sorrow over loss or shame. Okay, so when we talk about mourning here, we're talking about our response to loss of something that is important or, or shame. So, well, what kind of loss? Well, all of us are going to go through times of grief. We're all going to have times. Death is a part of life. It's, in a, it's a difficult part, but it's a part of it. It's part of the process that has been placed here because of our sin. It's not what God intended. It's not what God created. It was a result of our decision to sin against God. And so it's here. We have to deal with it. Uh, we all at some point, unless the Lord returns for his church while we're still here living, we will die. Uh, at some point and we don't know the day or the hour we don't know if it will be soon or if it will be many years from now and age really doesn't matter and so we've uh, we've lost family members in their 20s and uh, many of them and we've lost people in their 30s and 40s at different stages of life as you have we've uh, I've been to uh, I was at a funeral earlier this year for a baby that lived for eight minutes I was at uh, a funeral several years ago of a young man that was it was his 15th birthday and uh, and his heart failed as he was in a timeout at a basketball game uh, and so death comes when death comes none of us are guaranteed tomorrow none of us are guaranteed another breath and so I have to be mindful of the fact that at some point in my life, I'm going to have periods of loss. And those times are going to be hard. Those times are going to cause us to mourn, cause us to grieve, cause us to weep. Uh, and, and so blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. But we also should mourn over things that cause shame. And so, well, what should I be ashamed about? I, shouldn't I live my life in the way that I'm not ashamed? Well, we should, but the truth of the matter is, is that when we sin against God, that brings shame. The problem in our environment, Christian environment today, is that we have so rationalized away the severity of our sin and the grievous nature of our sin to God that we may say, okay, I sinned, God forgive me, but we're just about that flippant about it whenever we confess it before the Lord. We really don't, we're really not affected by it. Unless we get to the point where my sin is causing me some familial problems, some relationship problems, some job security problems, uh, those types of things, we just excuse it and dismiss it and brush it under the rug. And we may intellectually as a Christian say, yeah, I sinned, God forgive me, but that's not really a godly sorrow. 
we ought to be deeply grieved over our sin. I want to say, Pastor, well, God's helped me grow to a point where I don't have, you know, those big, great, huge sins anymore. That's the problem. As a Christian who's walking close to the Lord, that's mature in the Lord, we should be grieved that way over minor, what the world would term minor sins. If there's something in my life that becomes between me and my father, that should be devastating to me. Even if it's a small issue. The size is not important. The recognition of the damage that it causes between me and my walk with God is the thing that should cause some grief in my heart. And so when we talk about blessed are they that mourn, what are we saying? We're, we're, we're blessed or comforted when we sorrow over loss or when we are grieved or ashamed of our sin. God help us to be a people at Victory Baptist Church that learn again what it is to be ashamed of sin. We just live in a time where people aren't ashamed of much of anything. Where we've got it all figured out and it's just embrace it. And so, but he says here, if we would be, uh, if we would be blessed, then blessed are they uh, that mourn. So what are we talking about again? We're talking about grieving or sorrowing over loss or shame. Then T.W. Hunt said this about this very, this verse. Brokenness is the key to the deeper work of the Holy Spirit. If I'm not broken over my sin, then there's not a lot that the Holy Spirit has to work with in my heart. So brokenness is the key to a deeper walk, work of the Holy Spirit. Broken people are never flippant or insolent, but they are open for whatever work God wants to do. See, somebody that's really grieving or broken or ashamed of their sin, they're not going to bow up and be arrogant and flippant about it. They're not going to be insolent. They're not going to be defensive. They're, not, they're, they're just going to be broken. Broken people don't rise up and defend themselves. Broken people are grieved over what they've done and they own their sin, their mistake, and they want to make it right. And so when we talk about here the idea of mourning and being broken, we're talking about uh, being at a place where my spirit ha has been broken. I, I don't know, and I, I know I give this illustration from time to time, but I, don't, I honestly don't know of a better one in, in, than better way to explain this than than in the breaking of a horse if you were to go out west and go out to a place where horses run wild and catch one and bring it in and try to put a bit in its mouth and a saddle and just get on it and ride you're going to be in for a ride it's not going to like it it's full of spirit and it's feisty and it wants to be left alone I mean, that, that's, you go to a rodeo around here and they put, uh, they put straps on the horses and bulls to make them buck. This, the kind of horse I'm talking about, you don't have to do anything to make it buck. Except get on it. And, and, it, and it's on. And you're off. And it's just going to be, it, it's, it's got some fight in it. And if you take that horse and you saddle it and you break it, you're going to have a good friend and you're going to have a good ride. And you're going to have something that responds as you lead it. And you prod it. But there's a process of breaking that has to take place. Well, now if you break the spirit of that animal, you have a worthless animal. But if you break the will of that animal, 
you have a useful tool. And when God's talking about our brokenness, what God is wanting to do is he wants to break our will without breaking our spirit. I have found, and I'm a firm believer, that the same applies to training children. If you don't break the will of your child in their early years, I'm talking about before they're three, then you are going to have a fight on your hands whenever they get to be teenagers. If you break their spirit, if you crush their spirit, you've, you've ruined them. And if you don't break their will, you've ruined them. You've crippled them for life. And so as a Christian, the same applies to me. I have to let the Spirit of God break my will so that His Spirit can then resonate with my spirit. A, a Christian who's just beat down and has no, no fight in them, has no determination in them, has no spirit of, hey, I've got something I've got to get done that God's given me to do, uh, isn't going to be much good. But a Christian that's full of themselves, even though they do all the right things, is worthless, is just as worthless. Why? Because they're just doing it in the energy and the power of their flesh. And instead of being broken and realize I've got nothing to offer outside of humbling myself before God and allowing him to live and work through me. And that's the point that Jesus is making here is that if I would be, if I would be blessed and if I would be comforted, then I must allow the Spirit of God to break me so that I can be useful to him. Then he says that we'll be comforted. So what does that mean? And you say, well, pastor, this is comforted. Somebody's going to come up and they're going to pat you on the shoulder and they're going to tell you things are going to be okay and they're just going to lift you up. Comforted here means this. It means to call to one side. So if I would be comforted, if I would be called to the Lord's side, then I must mourn. I must be ashamed of my sin. I must be in a state where I'm broken and grieving over my failure. What happens then? He calls me to his side. And when he calls me to his side, then he draws me close to him. Then at that point, he consoles me and he encourages me and he strengthens me. See, a person who is who is comforted by the Spirit of God is not just having their hurt alleviated or made to feel better. They are also strengthened and empowered to do that which God has given them to do. And so if I would be the kind of Christian that walks with the Lord in a way in which his spirit is communing with mine, number one, I, I have to come to a place where I'm poor in spirit or I'll never even get that I need him. But once I understand I need him, then I've got to be broken in my spirit so that I will come to him and allow him to work in my life, realizing that I don't have the strength to go forward. But when I'm pulled near to him and close to his side and he lifts me up and he encourages me, he gives me his strength to go forth and to do the work that he's given me to do. Amen. Brokenness is letting go of self so that there is room for God. See, we're so filled with our own ambition, our own desires, our own will, our own dreams, that there's no room left for the Lord. And say, so, well, Pastor, what am I supposed to do? If God, if I've, listen, God gave you gifts and talents, develop them for his glory and use them. Every person doesn't need to be 
a pastor. Every person doesn't need to be a Sunday school teacher. Every person doesn't need to be uh, what we would look at and say, hey, this is full-time Christian work. That's, that's not the will of God for everyone. If God gave you special aptitude or ability in certain areas, we need good, godly Christian school teachers and mechanics and bankers and, uh, and lawyers and, and every other avenue and walk of life. Why? Because we, we are the light in the darkness of this world. And if we don't develop the, the gifts and the talents that God has given us and we waste them, then there's, we're not giving the Lord what he gave us to work with. And so when we look and we consider here uh, some thoughts about this, I'm, I'm just, I want to make the point this morning that I must be broken in my spirit or I must let go of myself so that there's room for God. In other words, I must dispose of the old me so that there's room for the new me. See, when he saved us, he made us a new creation in Christ. So three thoughts about this this morning that I want to bring out. Number one, I would say that a broken life is an empty life. When I'm broken, I'm empty of self. There's no room left for me. When I'm broken, me leaks out. Whenever my, my uh, last couple of times that I've got the oil changed and had the battery tested in my truck, it's tested bad. And I knew I was going to colder weather this last week. And so I thought, <coughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a new battery. I'm going to change it. And so on I knew we were going to leave Sunday afternoon right after church. We were going to go home and pack up, eat, and hit the road. Try to make, break the trip up since we weren't staying over a weekend. Uh, and so we get, I, I bought a battery on Saturday. Uh, my wife had to go to a shower, and I thought, well, great. I've got some work to do. I'm going to get that done, and then I'm going to just uh, got to, I'm going to swap that battery out. And, and honestly, it's, it's like a five to ten minute job, tops. An hour later, <laughs> the bolt that that goes down, that's the stem that holds the battery in place, snapped off. The last time it died, I was in California taking my daughter to college about five years ago, and, uh, and we, we pulled in, and I never park nose first anywhere. Unless it's an angled thing, if it's a straight-on parking spot, I back in. Uh, I, can't even, I can't even stay in the lines if I try to go in nose first in my truck. I can back it in all day long, but I can't go in head first. But we pulled in the parking lot of this hotel, and it was a straight shot, and I thought, well, I'll just go on in. So I went on in. Get up the next morning, it's cold, uh, and we get up there, we're up in the mountains, and, uh, and it's dead. So I'm like, great. So now I'm out here in the parking lot, early in the morning, trying to push my F-150 out of its parking place. It has so happened there's a guy with a big line truck next to me, and he gets his big jump pack, comes out, jumps it. I go across to an O'Reilly's and buy a battery, and I don't have any tools with me, so I'm like, I'll let the guy change it. Well, the guy torqued that bolt down so tight five years ago, and it rusted so thick that it wasn't going anywhere. And so finally, I just am like, well, it's not dead. I'll worry about it when I get to my mom's house next week. And so I'm telling you, we had to get a sawzall. We had to cut that thing in parts till I could finally get it out, the battery out, so that I, I, it was so tight, Brother Harold, that I ruined a pair of channel locks. I bent up a pair of channel locks trying to twist that seven millimeter bolt out. What was left of it, I should say, because it was snapped off. Finally got it out, got it all changed, it's all good. You know, no problem, but it was a lot more difficult than it should have been. Why do we always have to be so much more difficult than we should be? But why, why is it always so much work 
to get us to do and be what we should be for the cause of Christ. Listen, a, a, a broken life is an empty life. And so my stepdad even gets out there one day and I'm like, I'm not ready to mess with it yet. It was still too cold. I was enjoying the fire and a cup of coffee in the fireplace and uh, he's getting all bundled up and I'm like, we can deal with this after lunch. It'll be about 50 or 60 degrees then. And I'm like, that's good working weather. And so, but he's out there and he's, he's going to town on trying to get the thing out of there. And then he comes in and he says, I'm thinking, well, I'm just, I got to go somewhere. So we'll, I'll finish it when I get back. And he said, oh, you can't. I got it all disconnected. And I poked a hole in the battery. So now I got battery acid leaking in there too. And so, you know, I come back and, and it took about 15 minutes and I had it out and cleaned up and the new one in. He had done all the hard work actually. And so I, that was a good thing, but it was leaking. And once a hole was punctured in there, there was no containing what was in it. And we must allow the spirit of God to break us so that we're emptied of self. But if God breaks us, we'll leak out. We need to be emptied. Of what, Pastor? I'm not so bad. Well, first of all, we need to be emptied of sin. Our problem is, is that we're full of ourselves, and we're full of sin. Well, but, you know, I'm faithful to my spouse. I'm, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not stealing. I'm not doing all of the big sins. I haven't killed anybody this week. You know, don't ask me about the week before, but I haven't killed anybody this week. You know, I'm, I don't have any big, listen, we're so full of sin and we're so blind to it that we can't even see it anymore. That's just who we are. So Pastor, you really think we're that bad? Yep. So am I. Why? Because we're just people. And that's in our heart and our core and our nature. That's who we are. We're angry. We're bitter. We care about, we're selfish. We, we often, even with the people that we love most, have to remind ourselves to not be selfish, to not put our needs ahead of theirs. And there are times we just have to stop and say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, I, for, I was even forgetting, I'm so focused on me that I forgot to take care of you. Even when that's our responsibility. And it's someone that we genuinely love. My, my point is just simply this, that I must be broken so that that can leak out. I need to be emptied of sin. And until I come to a place where I recognize how damaging and how corruptive sin is. It is a corrosive. It, it will build up until it causes a problem. So it's not such a big deal. Let your battery posts go long enough and get enough corrosion on them and you're not going to start. But I didn't do anything to it. It's just the natural process. Exactly. The natural process of the human person is sinful. And when we sin, it causes a problem. I need to be emptied of sin. And I need to be secondly emptied of self. And I need to realize that pride is the great preventer. Well, pastor, I'm not a proud person. <laughs> Think about that statement. I am. That's good preaching. And so are you. So pastor, you got a pride problem? Yep, just like yours. Well, so-and-so's got a bigger pride problem than me. Maybe they do sometimes, but not when you make that statement. And it's kind of hard to get to the point where you like make honest evaluations and don't cross the line yourself. We're proud. And we're filled with pride. And because we're filled with pride, we don't want to hear truth unless that truth is flattering to us. But when that truth confronts us, when that truth points out our flaws, when that truth shows us a need that we have, 
We don't like being dependent on someone else. That's not necessarily always a bad thing until it becomes an issue between me and the Lord. Or it becomes an issue between accepting help from someone when I genuinely need it. And so be mindful of the fact that pride will get in the way always. And by the way, before we, lest we think that that's not really that big of a sin, when Proverbs gives us a list of the seven things that are an abomination to God that he hates, pride is in the list. Pride is the original sin that caused Satan to fall from heaven. And so we're filled with it. A broken life is an empty life. And until I'm emptied of self and until I'm emptied of sin, I really can't get anywhere. And I can't experience much comfort and peace from the Lord. Second thing I want to point out this morning is this, is that an empty life is an available life. An empty life is an available life. Why? Because when I'm empty, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Once I'm emptied, I'm now available to be comforted. I'm now available to walk with God. I'm now available for God to speak to my heart. I'm now available for the Spirit of God to lead me and to shape me and to mold me in what God wants me to be. Why? Because the Comforter repairs that which is broken. What does God do? He repairs the broken. But He broke me. And sometimes we need to be broken so that He can fix what's wrong. We must allow God to work in our life in His way and in His time. The comforter will repair the broken. Listen, I need to realize I am broken. And putting my own fix on it doesn't really solve the problem. I need to be mended properly, spiritually. And that's the work of God. Now, two thoughts about this this morning. An empty life being an available life is that an empty life is available for the filling with God's purpose. If I take a... If I take a uh, a, a vessel and it's, and it's, it's cracked or has a, a, a hole in it. Uh, it's, it's going to, I can fill, I can put something in it, but it's going to leak out. But if I can fix it and put in it something that's good, then it will hold. I need the Spirit of God to take my broken vessel and to repair it, to fix it. He's a fixer of that which is broken. My mom's dad, and he, I was just young, eight or nine when he died, and but he loved to fix things. He'd go buy old cars. That was his go-to, was old cars. And he did other things as well, but he had a knack for fixing things. And so he would go and buy this old ratty-looking car or truck, and he'd bring it home, and he'd strip it down, and he'd sand it off, and he'd paint it, and he'd fix the engine, and he would, uh, you know, take care of all the different needs and basically bring it to a restored state. And, and this is in the early 70s. And and he had uh, turned around and sell it. And it really, for him, wasn't about making money. It was just about, that's what he loved to do with his time. And so he would go to work at Manasco, and he would design uh, parts for uh, machines and things like that. And then he'd come home, and he was working on paper all day. And then he'd come home, and he'd work with his hands out uh, in the backyard or in his garage or under the carport working on these old cars. What was he doing? He was taking something that was broken, and he was repairing it. God repairs that which is broken. But if I'm not, if I want to allow myself to recognize that I'm already broken, then I can't be repaired. God, when God fixes me, I'm available to be filled with his purpose. See, I need to be emptied of me so that there's room for what he has for me. So that there's room for what God would do with me. 
Not only that, but I'm available for filling with God's perspective. It's not just about doing the things that God wants me to do. It's about thinking the way God wants me to think. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2, 5 says. I want to spend so much time with God that I begin to think like he does. People that have been married a long time, my wife and do it all, my wife and I do it all the time. Not only do we, we're at a state now after 30, almost four years of marriage and been together longer than that. To where not only do we often finish each other's statements, but sometimes we spontaneously say the same thing at the same time when we weren't even talking about it. It's like we're just driving down the road and her mind has gone somewhere and my mind has gone somewhere and we'll turn at about the same time and we're talking about the same thing. And she'll look and she'll say, that's so weird. And she'll say, you really do become like the person that you live with. Lord, help me. <laughs> so, you know, we look at those things. Listen, I spend so much time with, with Jesus that you begin to think like he does. We need to think like the Lord. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Be filled with his perspective. See, my perspective doesn't matter. The world's perspective doesn't matter. The politician's perspective doesn't matter. God's perspective matters. What God's values are, what God's plan is, what God's agenda is, is the agenda that matters. An empty life is an available life because a broken life emptied it. So we see this morning that a broken life is an empty life. We see that an empty life is an available life. And we must realize that we must become convertible or conformable. We cannot reason. Uh, the, the, you can't reason with a non-listener. For example, I'm going to make this point and then we'll, we'll move on to our final point this morning. If I'm going to have a conversation with something that both Bo and I disagree on, and I come to him, and it's an issue that we're, we're talking about, and I'm not willing to listen to what he has to say. And he's not willing to listen to what I have to say. And we spend all of our time just trying to convince each other. The only thing that's going to happen is we're going to leave mad. Because I'm not going to be convinced, and he's not going to be convinced. He's going to be frustrated. I'm going to be frustrated. Why? Because we're not willing to listen. And so many times we, we come to church, we go to the Lord in our prayer life or devotional life, we read our Bible, and we're reading what's on the page or we're hearing what's being said, but in our heart we're rejecting everything because we already know what we want to think and we're not open to what God has for us. Now, there are some things in life to where that, that's good. If you know biblically what we believe, why we believe, why we stand where we do, I, I don't need... My, my in-laws, and they're both with the Lord now, but, uh, you know, they were, uh, they were my, my mother-in-law when my wife was growing up was a medium. She's a little girl sitting under the table while her mom's conducting seances and her dad's an alcoholic. Uh, and so uh, she's, uh, the, the, you know, at some point when she's about eight or nine years old, they both got saved and all of that's just gone. It's really miraculous. And so they get saved and they've got the family uh, learning about the Lord and, and they're and in church and growing and, uh, and loving the Lord. And then over time they got old and uh, she's the baby of nine. And just uh, those of you that are new and don't know my wife's family dynamic there and she grew up in Puerto Rico and her oldest brother who's still living is probably getting close to 80. Uh, and her oldest sister passed away a few years ago. Her sister that lives here in Baytown is my mom's age. 
And that was number three. Her next, her closest sibling lives in Chattanooga. She got to see him this week, uh, and he's not in real great health, uh, but he's seven years older than she is. And so you have nine children spread out, you know, at this point from, uh, from 57 to, uh, to uh, don't tell her I said that, uh, to almost 80, uh, and, you know, parents that are gone. So when they're home and they're alone and they're older and, uh, and nobody, everybody's busy living their own life and the Jehovah Witness come by, they start letting them in. Why? Because they were lonely and they listened. And because they were listening, they were influenced. And they loved the companionship so much that they just bought into whatever. And what I'm saying this morning is they got there because they to a bad place. They got to a good place from a bad place because they were willing to listen. And they got to a good from a good place to a bad place because they were willing to listen. I need to be willing to listen, but I need to be careful about who I'm listening to. And I need to be mindful that I want to stay true to the word of God, but I need to be willing to hear truth. I need to be willing to hear truth, even unpleasant truth. Because everything that you need to hear and everything that I need to hear is not always, you're doing great, you're awesome. I mean, it's good sometimes to hear that you're great and you're awesome. But what we need to hear sometimes is, man, you really blew that. You need to fix that. You need to get over that. You need to grow up about that. You need to mature in that area of your life. And if I'm not willing to accept that, even when it's hard to receive, I'm never going to grow. And I'm never going to become different than what I already am. I need to let God work in my life. When people sometimes come to my office with a complaint or something that I said, and I'm not always wrong, sometimes something doesn't come out right. I always try to just step back and just absorb and listen, even when it's not easy. And, it's, uh, and, and then to take it away and really give it some thought and prayer and assess what it is that I've done or what it is that I've said so that I can make appropriate adjustments moving forward. It's not easy to do sometimes. I'm going to tell you something, as a Christian, unless we're willing to do that, we're never going to grow much. And we're never going to become what God wants us to become. If I'm not going to allow myself to be convertible or to be changeable, to be transformable by the Spirit and the power of God, then I'm not ever going to get anywhere for His glory. A broken life, and blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. They shall be drawn to his side. They shall be encouraged. They shall be strengthened. A broken life is an empty life. An empty life is an available life. And thirdly, an available life is a useful life. If I'm not available, I'm not useful. I may have the ability to do what needs to be done, but if I don't make myself available to do it, I'm not gonna get, it's not going to help. Brother Billy spends a lot of time uh, every week coming in. He's not alone. He's not the only one. And there are many of you that do, and I appreciate it. But Brother Billy comes in, and uh, him and Brother Harold in particular, when it comes to fixing a lot of things or, or, you know, putting things up that need to be done, things that most people will never notice, most people will never see, most people will never hear about, uh, and they sacrifice time on a weekly basis uh, almost, almost every single week unless they're sick or gone or, <clears throat> you know, take a random break. 
Uh, sometimes it may be something as simple as weeding and mowing. Sometimes it may be pressure washing something, fixing a van that's broken or, uh, or fixing equipment that's down or installing some lights or climbing up here and changing these light bulbs, doing th those types of things. There's a lot of ability. There are some things that need to be done. I'll go to Brother Billy and I'll just say, hey, this needs to be done. This is how much money I can give you to work with. Can you make it happen? You'll have to go back and think about it, kind of draw up a plan and say, okay, yeah, I think so. Or no, I need this much more money. Or, uh, you know, that's not reasonable, but, or this is what it's going to take. So what's your point? My point is he's available. Doesn't matter how much ability he has if he's never available. It doesn't matter how much talent you have. It doesn't matter how much uh, wealth you have. It doesn't matter how much time you have. It doesn't matter how big of a heart you have. If you never make it available for God to use, it's not usable. See, an available heart is usable. An available Christian is usable. See, Pastor, you just want us to come in so you can use us. No, I want us to humble ourselves before God so God can use us. I want all of us to be used by God. Not because we have anything special to offer, but because he's emptied us of ourself and gotten us out of the way and filled us with himself so that we can be of something worth offering. An available life is a useful life. Three quick thoughts. Number one, to be used but for God's purpose. I want my life to be used for God's purpose. So pastor, what about your purpose? Well, if we're mature Christians, as time goes on, our purpose should become God's purpose. Amen. There, there should be a transition point where my, 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 when I'm first saved and learning and growing, I have to be mindful, okay, well, this is what my driving force is, but this is what it should be. This is what God has for me. And it's, it's a mental, it's, it's, it's a lot of mental exercise to try to get on the same page. But honestly, you know, I've been saved for over 40 years. I've been a pastor for 20. I've been in full-time ministry for 25. I've been, uh, I've been uh, working with people, leading people from, since I was, essentially since I was in, in, in a spiritual sense, since I was 30. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm moving forward through life. I, my, I really shouldn't have to jump through too many hoops to get to a point where my purpose is the purpose of God. My life is all about trying to do what God's purpose for it is. Say, so, yeah, well, you're the pastor. That's true, but the reason that that should be my purpose is because I'm a Christian. Now, that may look different in my daily schedule to your daily schedule based upon what your profession is. But the purpose is the purpose of God. Miss Katrin, go to school and teach your class tomorrow and fulfill God's purpose for your life. Brother Don, go teach math to a bunch of kids that don't know how to add. Teach algebra to those that can't add one plus one. That's the challenge that he faces at a high school level today. I, and, and do it to fulfill God's purpose for your life. Brother JP, Brother Roger did that in law enforcement until they retired, fulfilling God's purpose for that stage of their life. Some of you did that. Uh, Brother Roland, Brother Mike, who's on vacation this week uh, for 25, 30 years. Brother Buck, who's out of town helping a granddaughter move for 30 years in the Army or in the uh, Coast Guard and Navy, in their cases, uh, fulfilling God's purpose for their life and that stage of their life. Listen, whatever stage of life you're in, God has a purpose for you. Be used to fulfill the purpose of God for your life. So pastor, what if God's purpose doesn't reconcile with my purpose? Then let him transform you so that it will. 
If I'm a Christian, it should be the same purpose. If I'm a mature Christian, that is, it should have grown into the same element. I want to be available to be used for the fulfillment of God's purpose. Secondly, I want to be used for God's accomplishment. It, the Bible says to give honor to whom honor is due. And we try to do some things like that from time to time. For example, every year we give a faithful servant award uh, at our anniversary time and We'll try to recognize different people at different times for different things. And uh, if you've, you know, served for years with honorably in uh, retired military and uh, were awarded things as you retired or received awards as you were serving along or law enforcement or other areas of life and you got recognition in those things, that's not a bad thing. I'm not downing those things. I'm saying, am I doing what I do for those things or am I doing those, those things for, for God? Uh, my accomplishments should be an accomplishment for God. If, if I accomplish something that brought recognition, it, be, it should be because God did that in my life. And ultimately brings his will into order. And then thirdly, I would say this, that I want to be used for God's glory. Our lives as Christians should be used to fulfill God's purpose. They should accomplish God's will and they should bring glory to God. That's what our life should look like. Pastor, what should my life look like? Well, I should, I should recognize that I'm poor in spirit. In other words, I have a need for God. And I should recognize that I'm broken. And because I'm broken and I'm aware of my sin and I'm ashamed of my sin, I'm, I'm mourning that because that's when God comes up to me and the Holy Spirit pulls me aside and says, let, let me comfort you. Let me encourage you. Now that I've got you encouraged, let me give you the strength to go forth and do what I've given you to do. See, God's just good that way. Yeah, Recognize that you need me. Recognize what you do that hurts our relationship. Be broken about that so that I can come and fix it. Because until you see that you need me and until you're broken over your sin, I can't fix anything and you won't pay any attention if I tried and that's essentially as Jesus starts his ministry, he's saying, let me have your attention. You're all focused on all the do's and the don'ts. Let's focus on the relationship with the Savior. Recognize that we need the Lord Jesus Christ. And recognize that until we get to a point where we understand that our attitude and our behavior and our desires and our selfishness put a wedge between us and him and it bothers us enough that we're broken over it and we say, God, help me. Even when he tries to reach out, we don't hear him. Why is it that people can come to church and leave? And I'm not saying that I'm a great preacher. I'm just saying, why can we come under the word of God week in and week out, month in and month out, year in and year out, and, and never really change all that much? Because we don't think we need him and we don't understand that we're broken. But when I realize my need, and I'm broken, and I realize how much he can fix things, then I've opened the door for him to come alongside and to pull me close to him and say, let me forgive you, let me restore you, let me empower you to do what I have for you to do. Listen, if I don't get to that point, I'm never gonna have much to give God. I must be broken. I must mourn to be comforted. If I'm not, he can't comfort me. Why? Because I don't understand that I need to be comforted. And I don't understand that what he's given me is useful. What does brokenness do? 
What good is that, Pastor? Why do I need to be broken? Because brokenness purifies me. A brokenness over my sinful condition brings purity to my life. Brokenness teaches me. Brokenness gets me to a point where I can actually communicate. Years ago when I was pastoring in Arkansas and I was at a point where we were trying to make some decisions and, you know, I was frustrated. And, and everywhere where ministry is a struggle, it's fair to say <clears throat> that the common thing that you hear pastors say over and over again is this area is just different, it's hard. And sometimes it's true and sometimes it's a cop-out. My uh, daughter and son-in-law drove through the town that I pastored in. When I left there on the last Sunday, I think we had 120-something people. Not a lot different than what we are probably here today. When I went there, there were about 40. 20 sat on this side, 20 on this side. They went across the, hand, across the aisle to shake hands. When I left, there were about 120. And two Sundays ago, they had 19. If I don't understand that I need what God has given me, I'm not going to really ever experience him on a level that he wants to experience. I, I'm not ever going to become what God really wants me to become. You see, when I'm broken, God can purify me. When I'm broken, God can teach me. If I think that I just, this is the way that it's supposed to be. And, and I, when, I, when I left there, I, I told the pulpit committee, you need to get somebody that can communicate in a way that will get people to understand. They're not listening to me anymore. And what you're going to end up with is 30 people And they didn't listen. And they just gave everybody what they wanted. And won't be but maybe about five or six more years and there won't be anybody probably left alive that's still there. Why? Because they're not willing to hear. I'm, I'm grateful that the people that are here, that were here 10 years ago when the Lord brought us here, are willing to open their heart to the Lord's work. Not everyone was, and they're not here anymore. But those of you that were, how God has worked, why? Because we were willing for God to teach us. We were willing for the Holy Spirit to instruct us. We were willing for God to grow us. If I'm not willing to be taught, say, Pastor, you've got that much to say, all I have to teach you is the Bible. All I'm trying to do is give you what God gives it's not any, anybody could do it if you're willing to listen. And so, you know, it doesn't matter, honestly, whether a preacher is a good speaker or a bad speaker, a great pastor or a bad pastor. What matters is, is my heart open to God? Because when it's hungry for God and it's open to God and has a need for God, God will communicate to me what I need. Regardless of the quality that comes from here. Am I teachable? What happens when I'm broken, Pastor? I'm purified. I can be taught, and it brings comfort. It brings the comforter into new depths of personal relationship with me.
the comfort of the Holy Spirit of God can enter and commune with my spirit in a way that he never can until I'm broken. And Jesus said, I, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I wonder this morning if you're here and you're not sure if Jesus Christ is your Savior, if the Holy Spirit's standing there knocking and you hear the knocking, but you don't believe that you need what he has to offer. I wonder, Christian, if the Holy Spirit's standing there knocking and you're thinking, my walk with God's just fine, Pastor. My spiritual life is just okay. You, you can't say anything that's going to impress me enough to get me to listen. I've got it all figured out. He's knocking until he stops and walks away. You see, being broken teaches me that I need him, purifies my life from sin, and it brings the Spirit of God close to me, brings me close to him so that he can put his arm around me and that he can encourage me. Brokenness, T.W. Hunt said this, and we'll be done. Brokenness under God's direction leads to wholeness. I'll never be whole as a Christian until I'm broken. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd help us to understand that our Christian lives should be filled with joy, but part of that process means that we have to be transformed and brought into what you would have us to be. And that begins with understanding that we have a need for what you are telling us and allowing you to break our spirit so that we'll accept it. Lord, there's so much more that you have in these next few weeks that we'll share that you're communicating to this crowd. May we understand it. May we be a people that are not so proud that we can't humble ourselves and be ashamed of our sins so that we're aware of our need and our brokenness that you might come and repair and fix and strengthen us to serve you boldly. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that's never trusted you as our Savior, I pray this morning that they would seek you, that they would seek your salvation your forgiveness of sin, your eternal life, and the gift of life that you give. Lord, work in our hearts, strengthen our faith, and Lord, help us to become the Christians and the church that you would have us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.